You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. Really glad to be in the house here today. New week, Monday, November 6th. So much going on here. So much going on in the country, in the world. So much chaos. So much of a need for clarity, as always. And that is what we're here to provide at the Conservative Conscience. You know, we got a crazy country out here. We got atheists mowing people down, and we got socialist liberals attacking a senator while he's mowing his lawn. Um, (laughs) Anyway, just a note on that real quick. Uh, It's still not clear what happened to Rand Paul, but it was kind of eerie because he was nice enough to send me a letter. He sent me just a quick note in the mail. I opened it up over the weekend. Uh, He was just thanking me for you know, the clarity of an article I wrote and I turn on the news and, you know, they say he's been attacked by someone. So, you know, we wish him well, um, you know, and, and he really recently, he's really been very good. You know, obviously he's a little bit more libertarian. I'm a little bit more of a tr- traditionalist conservative. We disagree on crime and some other issues, but um, you know, ever since he stopped running for president, he's been a really solid voice this entire year. So we're really going to miss him this week in this tax debate. Because we bear, b- badly need him. It's funny, politicians are kind of like stocks. You always want to buy low and sell high. So, you know, he's a, he's on a good trajectory now where some others are kind of downhill. So, yeah, I mean, his voice is is lacking, and we need that voice. There is no voice of clarity on any issue, whether it's economics, whether it's the backwards nature of our foreign policy and military engagements, supporting the wrong people, Ignoring the right people, wasting money, fighting for our enemies while having open borders. No voice on immigration, which there might be some good news on that actually, hopefully today, but I can't yet report on it. And then obviously economically, we have a national emergency in this country. There are no words to describe it. So I have an article out today talking about the $21, $2,200 a month premiums for Obamacare. It's, it's unconscionable. It's unfathomable. So obviously, government statistics have always been wrong on this. They always say 20% increases, 30%. I know this year they said there was going to be 37% increase in premiums. And I know many of you are like me, where your premiums went up 300% since enactment of Obamacare. So built on top of that, premiums are now going up 80 to 110% from what I'm seeing from friends, from just researching Blue Cross in my state of Maryland and most other places. I remember, you know, two years ago when we started this new paradigm, it was going up and up. You know, I, my, my plan used to be $450 a month for my family of five, and it was, it was pretty good coverage. Um, you know, and the rest, we didn't mind paying out of pocket if we needed it. It was worth the risk because, you know, up front, all right, you you pay four, five, six thousand a year in totality in healthcare, whatever mix of premium versus out of pocket you want to pay. But that that's the price of doing business. Um, you know, it's not gonna be free. 
really, if we had a free market before Obamacare, if we did the things that we've advocated for, it would be even less than that. But, you know, it's not going to be free, but it's certainly not going to be crushing. But then it went up and up. And then we started talking about $1,200 premiums. And that's when I said, I am done. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I am now paying the amount of money up front commensurate with what we used to insure against. So I this year I just dropped it in middle and I went with a health sharing ministry, uh, Liberty Health Share. Some of you I know have you know there's different ones. Um, only a couple of them are exempt from the individual mandate penalty, which is why we need to abolish the entire individual mandate so new sharing ministries could start. So you know hundreds of thousands of people could go into them, their pools could expand, and they could offer even more than what they're offering now. But pretty good deal. I'm paying or so, um, $1,500 equivalent of of a deductible, they call it a sharing, whatever. And, you know, it covers most things. Obviously, it doesn't have dental and and prescription drugs, but, you know, that's that's fine. I, I wish everyone wouldn't have that, and then you wouldn't need it because you wouldn't have the price inflation. But I digress. I don't want to talk about myself. The reason why I mention that is because... For me, the twelve I was like twelve hundred dollars. I said, "What the heck?" I mean, that's a, approaching the size of an average uh, mortgage payment. Certainly, if you deduct taxes. So then, people were sending. So I'm not in the loop anymore because I'm not doing this. So I'm not getting the letters. But this time of year, these weeks, these days, is when everyone's getting the letters in the mail about the 2018 premium increases. And I know some of you have sent me your letters, and I did an article based on two of them that were sent to me, um, individuals from from Georgia, where their premiums are now going to $2,100, $2,200. I mean, an average mortgage in America is $1,500, and that includes uh, taxes and insurance. You throw in utilities, a couple hundred dollars. Your internet connection. You throw in all of that and the cost of medical insurance for even bare bones that you're still going to be on the hook for more payments afterwards is now more than that. It's more than a mortgage. This is a national emergency that because of socialism, middle income, middle upper income, hardworking, particularly people that are small business owners, um, entrepreneurs, they don't get group plans from, from work. And they have to pay their own share. They don't get subsidized. But the subsidies for people at the lower end that are lining the pockets of the cartel and shielding the price inflation. So it basically greases the skids and allows them to increase even more is hurting consumers. You are now paying more than you pay for anything else in your life. You know, unless you're very wealthy and you have, you know, you have a yacht or whatever. But I mean... This is more than your mortgage and utilities, all to line the pockets of the insurance cartel, Obamacare. And which, by the way, I don't have time to get into this now because I I do want to get to taxes, but this is a segue into taxes. There are now 50, so there's 75 or so million people on Medicaid, appalling, but 73%, a record number, are under managed plans. Medicaid is not like food stamps or housing vouchers. I wish it, I wish they did work that way. They would we we would have a lot less uh, market distortions. Most of it is private. 
Now, when I say private, it's not private, of course, but rather than taking taxpayer funds and just giving it to poor people, we line the pockets of the insurance cartel to empower them, give them all the money, give them all the consumer bargaining power, and they could completely price fix us into oblivion. Medicaid has been rendered an inalienable right that you can't touch because of the insurance cartel lobbying for it. Not because of poor people lobbying, it's, it's the insurance cartel, but yet the voices of the American people aren't heard. And yet we can't find a critical mass of Republicans speaking to this. Why did I open up a show that I designed for, to discuss the GOP tax plan, how it's political malpractice and insanity? Why did I open it up with healthcare? Because it's all about healthcare. Healthcare is the biggest tax, it's the biggest spending, it's the biggest economic depressor, it's everything. So to begin with this notion that we're going to go and say, let's forget about healthcare and move on to tax cuts. You know, I've been beating this drum for a couple months. I said, look, I'll take tax cuts anytime you know, it comes. Now, we'll see in a minute they're not giving us tax cuts. But a legitimate tax, I'll take it, I'll support it. But it's not the issue of our time. The tax burden and, and I know some of you aren't going to like me saying this, but relatively, it's not that high. It's nothing new. It's not like there's a new emergency, unsustainable trajectory. If anything, taxes have gotten relatively better um, as a result of the Reagan and Bush tax cuts. The only people paying a significant amount in taxes are the real wealthy, the people that neither party will actually want to give relief and grow the economy with. So I always said, so therefore, it's just a dead issue. Where the money is, is in Obamacare, first and foremost, Dodd-Frank, Sarbanes-Oxley. I, I joke around that you know the average family pays more in the ethanol mandate on food and fuel than they do, you know, that you're going to get from even a legitimate tax cut, much, much less what the GOP is, is planning to do. And then, and then we have the emergency of immigration, of our culture, family issues, national security, foreign policy. These things are unsustainable. North Korea is unsustainable. That's an emergency. And economically, Obamacare is the biggest emergency. Taxes, again, individual taxes are relatively better. Corporate tax, look, we all agree we'd rather lower it. It is kind of high, although when you factor in deductions, it's not quite as high as people think it is. Um, but yeah, it, it should be lowered. Dude, it's been around forever. Nothing has changed. It's not like it was increased. Um, you can't blame that on the economic stagnation. That was always baked into the cake. Now, you know, it's better to lower it, but you can't blame things on that. Obamacare is the 800-pound gorilla. It makes no sense. And also, in order to give a legitimate tax cut, you do have deficit issues. And look, I'll I'll be the first to tell you I'm a supply sider. I love tax cuts. I don't believe that to give people back their hard-earned money, we should treat it like spending where you want dollar-for-dollar dollar offsets. But you do have to factor in that if we're keeping Obamacare, GOP is spending like drunken sailors. They just reauthorized S-CHIP. They have three supplemental spending bills that aren't offset. There's going to be another Puerto Rico bailout, another debt ceiling increase. Um, you know, And then they want to do the corporate tax cut, which is $1.5 trillion over 10 years. So then we have a huge... We have a huge problem. We have a huge deficit. So Republicans back themselves into a corner with, with the deficit, and that's when they're getting into this, well, okay, we're going to do a revenue-neutral tax cut. 
and and a revenue neutral is garbage and l- l- like like we're going to go through with the with the details but th- but these are broadly the reasons why i warned just don't touch it it's not worth it let's deal with obamacare let's deal with regulations let's deal with immigration let's deal with cutting spending and entitlements and welfare then let's talk th- then we could talk about cutting taxes from a position of strength and do a real tax cut but nonetheless nonetheless Many of us took the position that, look, okay, they're not doing that. They're not doing what we want. They're never going to do what we want. All right, as long as it's somewhat of a tax cut, we'll support it. I had no intention. I didn't want to publicly bash it. I was like, let's just, fine, let's just hold our nose and do this. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people on the conservative side had this, this mentality. They, they badly wanted to just notch up a win. But then the plan came out, and I was like, dude, this is political suicide. You can't do this. So there's one thing if Republicans get accused of raising tax, you know, tax cuts for the rich or blowing a hole in the deficit. Democrats are always going to throw that at your way. All right, fine. But one thing you can never recover from if you're a Republican is getting accused of actually raising taxes on middle income and middle upper income families. And that's what the Democrats are accusing Republicans of. And honestly, they're right. You know, the the. The Democrats are destroying America, but again, you know, we're supposed to fix that. So before going through the micro details, just before we get lost in, in the weeds of the plan, let's just look at the broad revenue effects. The corporate tax cut is $1.5 trillion. That's a clean tax cut. It's good. It's generally a good it's, – it's good. I support it. The problem is on the individual side, again, because they backed themselves up in, you know, into a corner with revenue, so they're doing three, roughly $3 trillion in tax cuts and $3 trillion in tax increases. So right away, that's a wash. But as I'm going to demonstrate, what is policy-wise a wash is politically a liability. What, what basically ha- this has the effect of doing is Based on anomalous circumstances, based on just there, – there's no clear pattern. I'm going to try to identify it a little bit for you based on the software I've gone through with my you know, accountant brother-in-law who's really very smart on this. He's a, he's a partner in an accounting firm, just really really has a good grasp of the individualized effects of, of these changes. So he worked a lot with me on this. I, I spent 16 hours last Thursday just working all this out. But basically – Here's the effect. It's kind of like if I told you tomorrow, we're going to go to your house. We're going to move out all your furniture to your backyard, throw out our backs and scrape your walls in the process. And then we're going to go and put the furniture back in in a little different order. Some rooms will look a little better, some the same, some a little worse. That is exactly what the net effect of this tax plan is. It literally makes no sense in terms of simplification, in terms of pro-growth, and in terms of granting relief, and in terms of political cost-benefit analysis for political capital. The only thing it does is just serve the purpose of, I want to show I'm doing something, I'm reforming the code, but I have to do it in a revenue-neutral way. So I'm going to randomly find things to cut and then void it out with an increase. So that's what they do with each thing. 
And, and, and the net effect here is basically people at the lower end, of course, as always, you know, people that pay very little in taxes, pay nothing in taxes, have net positive tax liabilities will probably come out a little better. Um, the very top, as you know, th- there's a backdoor 46% rate. Um, they're not really getting a cut. Some might get an increase, people earning over a million dollars. And, you know, those of you in this audience that are smart are mature enough to understand that's where the growth is. Those are the job creators. If you don't cut the taxes there, you're not going to get pro-growth. But we knew that already. We knew the Republicans bought into that class warfare. They also wanted more revenue. We knew they weren't going to, they were going to have higher rates at the top. We knew that. But we figured, all right, with the corporate tax cut, and as long as you lower everyone else's taxes, it's worth it. Here's the problem. The upper middle income, picture people, families earning, you know, from 100 to 250,000 or so. And certainly certain levels above that kind of on and off. It gets a little bit weird if you earn a little bit above that because then, then you're in AMT. So you actually might come out a little better, but then above that, you might come out worse. I'll get to that if we have time. Um, doesn't matter so much. But you know, depending on where you are, your family, you're basically, some some of you are going to come out 500 to to $1,000 better. And I, I mean a year, not a month. So it's not a lot of change. Some of you will be about equal some of you will be about 5 to 500 to 1000 in the hole so that means that there will be middle income families that will lose out <laughs> your li- republicans are raising your taxes it makes no sense tax cuts is the only thing republicans ever did good and here's what they're doing raising taxes and again even though that's a wash politically the liability of raising taxes on individual A by $500 is much more severe than the political benefit or reward anyone will give to you by giving them $500 you know, of tax, tax cuts. But keep in mind, these are the families, and I know there's a lot of you in this audience, I was in the same boat, that you're above the subsidy line for Obamacare, but you're not making it out. I mean, you're not earning $500,000 a year. You work very hard. Some of you have your own small businesses. Um, You know, you have larger families. Some live in higher tax, higher cost of living areas where it's not even middle upper income. It's just plain middle income. You are the ones that are getting this $2,100 rate, uh, um, increase in premiums. And this is what is so stupid about what Republicans are doing. Incredibly dumb. This is how they get their name, the stupid party. So you ignore the fact that they're paying an extra ten to 15000 a year, closer to 15000 more, more than pre-Obamacare on health insurance. But here's a $500 cut in taxes. And some of you might get an increase. So by the way, I, I did the software. I plugged it into the software for my... My uh, my own personal fa- family situation. I would pay, be I would be paying one hundred sixty nine dollars more. It's not a lot, but I thought I was going to get a cut. I mean, what what are we doing? Um, so that that's the stupidity. So basically, what they do is, as you know, they abolish the personal exemption, which is about four hundred four thousand per person, but then expand the child tax credit from a thousand to sixteen hundred. It works out almost perfectly even. So it's, there's no reason for it. It makes it more complicated. Um, 
it doubles the standard deduction, but then gets rid of most a lot of the itemized deductions. And you know, most married families that own a home or pretty much anyone, you're going to you're always gonna be itemizing. So they say, well, we double the standard deduction. Okay, for some people that might help, but you know, again, I'm just speaking to me personally, and you know, you could try to figure out my income here. Um, but let me just tell you, I am not yet in the AMT. So I am not that high income as a family. And, you know, I had $30,000 itemized. I mean, we do give charity. Um, doubling the standard from 12 to 24, that still undershoots it. So now what do they do? They get rid of the state and local income tax deduction or most of it. So now it's going to, you know, even with charity and mortgage interest, it's not going to be enough unless you earn a tremendous amount. Uh, it's not going to be enough to itemize for most people. I shouldn't say tremendous, but I mean, if you're under about two hundred fifty thousand, I think you're 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 going to take the standard, but it's, it's going to be a loss. Oh, but we give you rate cuts. So now, first of all, this notion that you're going to collapse seven brackets into four is stupid. Oh, Daniel, we put it on a postcard. First of all. Nobody files on a postcard. That actually makes it more complicated. You use tax-free software, which instantaneously tabulates the brackets. So the number of brackets is the least complicated part of the code. Just collapsing brackets for the sake of saying I collapse the brackets is stupid. And in fact, once you agree to the premise of a graduated progressive income tax system... You actually need seven brackets, or at least six. You ha- it has to be graduated, because otherwise it's just too random. So they keep the 12% rate all the way up to 90000 of income. Again, I'm going on married filing jointly. Uh, that, that's just you know the way my, my brain works. I'm more familiar with those rates. Obviously, for individuals, it's different. 90000 so that's good. That's a big cut. But then they drop the 35% rate all the way down to 260 of income. So as soon as you reach 260 of income, anything above that's going to be tax- taxed at the massive 35% rate. That is massively anti-growth. That's a big cliff. I understand you're going to still be get- benefiting from the 12% rate at the bottom. But you know, picture you know a married family doing well as professionals. They've been working for many years. They're empty nesters in their 50s, 60s. You know, and the husband gets offered a VP position in a small company or a top managerial position in a larger company. You know, maybe he's earning 150, 200 now, and you say, well, you know, he, 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 here you are. You could you could be a VP, earn an extra 20, 30, 40,000. You know, my father's always told me it's not worth it often. You know, even, even as it is, it's not worth it just because of the increased responsibility at that stage of life, that age. You got to travel a lot. I know my dad is, God bless him, he's, he still hasn't retired, but um, you know he travels a tremendous amount. Not worth it. But now if you tell me that, okay, I'll give you more income, but anything above that is going to be taxed at a 35% bracket instead of maybe 28%, kind of more graduated from the 25, that's anti-growth. So that's, that's just dumb. You see what I'm saying? This is vintage GOP. Raise this rate, lower this rate. Get rid of double standard deduction, but get rid of itemized. Uh, get rid of personal exemption, but raise the child tax credit. Just so you could say you did things. That's what I mean by moving the furniture around. This is It's not a nothing burger. The outcome is a nothing burger. This is the most systemic reform I've ever seen that has no positive systemic outcome. 
It makes no sense. Why would you do that? There's just no rhyme or reason. It's all because the corporate lobbyists are all about the corporate tax cut, which we agree to. But because they're doing that, they're too stupid to message the American people that corporations aren't buildings or, or rich people. They're, they're jobs, wages, and lower cost of goods and services for all consumers. Like Ted Cruz, you know, really did a good job doing this and in, in, in the articulating this in in the debate with Bernie Sanders. But they're too stupid to do it, so they feel we have to touch the individual tax code. But because they don't have enough revenue, so they have to do revenue neutral. Well, this is what happens when you get revenue neutral. It makes no sense. Their entire outlook is so dumb. You either just do corporate, or you do a Bush tax cut 2.0. Which is you slash all, you just do a clean tax cut. You don't play around with any deduct. You just cut the rates, maybe modestly. Maybe it's not a lot, but at least everyone is getting a tax cut and you're not going to be accused of raising taxes on anyone. And then you take the good element from here. There is a good element, by the way. Um, it is good to expand the child tax credit. And, and, and one thing I love about what they do, but again, it's voided out um, by the other things they do, is right now, so you know how everything's means-tested, even things that aren't supposed to be means-tested. Everything's means-tested. So the child tax credit, the point is you have children that I shouldn't care about your income level. If you have more children, you get the credit that everyone gets. They phase it out at 110000 combined family income. That's very severe. That was always a big problem. Um, you know, there's one thing you say, okay, if you earn a million dollars, we're not going to give it to you. But really, one hundred and ten. They start phasing it out. You lose fifty dollars per every thousand over that. So you know, after one hundred thirty thousand, you lose it for one. After one hundred fifty for your second child, and so on, so on and so forth. So this bill would raise that phase out to two hundred thirty thousand of income. That that is good in a vacuum. So I would just take rate cuts and then the expansion and you know raising of the ceiling on the child tax credit, and you'd have a, you would have a nice politically advantageous tax cut there. It wouldn't be a ma- massively pro-growth because they're not doing it so much at the top, but fine. If you don't want to do it at the top, I get that. But I-, I would support it. We can't support this. This is a big problem. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. This is the Republicans in their glory. They're just mentally ill. It makes no sense. But it gets even worse than that. I have another article out, and let me just summarize the problem. Chained CPI. No, this is not some sort of sexual fetish um, that the courts are mandating on the military. Um, this is a way of measuring inflation. So for those of you that are unfamiliar, obviously the, the, the government has a lot of programs, whether it's tax system, the spending system, the welfare entitlement programs. Um, anytime you have a, a, a wage um, threshold for eligibility or for tax brackets, uh, we we you know have a certain income threshold, and, but then how do you calculate that? So obviously you know wages increase, but the cost of living increases. So to factor in inflation, we index tax brackets to inflation. So in other words, you know, um, you know if you're earning. 150, 160, 170,000, whatever it is, I forgot where the current 25% rate turns into 28, 
well, we understand that, you know, what's 150,000 today, uh, if you're earning that in 10 years from now, it's really like 140,000 because the cost of living goes up. So that's why we say, no, in order to be bumped into the higher bracket, it's no longer at 150. It gradually goes up a few thousand every year, right? That's what we've been doing. So what they used to factor that is, is a standard CPI, the CPIU um, for urban products. And basically that calculates inflation in absolute terms. So every increase, you know, the price of apples goes up, the price of this thing goes up, um, basically, we factor in how much it went up. What the chain CPI is, it looks at the net effect, not the absolute effect, which many people believe is more of an accurate me- measure of inflation. It's less aggressive because, yes, people um, prices go up, but then their behavior changes and mutes the cost of that basket of goods because, you know, people will stop buying as many. If apples goes up, they'll buy more oranges. You know the. The, the net effect will be a little less. So the CBO estimates it, it, it's it's roughly a quarter of a percentage point a year. So, I mean, I'm just, you know, estimating here. Let's say, you know, CPI would go up 2% in one year. The chain CPI would be 1 per, 1.6% or so. And so what, what they're doing here, what the Republicans are sneaking in, originally they, they did this in 2023 or they were going to enact it in 2023, now they're subjecting the threshold for income for tax brackets to the chain CPI immediately, immediately. So right away, right away, the, the bracket creep is going to start hitting you over time. It's going to bite because, you know, right. So, for example, 90 and 90,000 of income is where the 12 percent goes to 25 percent. Now, let's say under current way of estimating CPI, you know, it will quickly go to 95, 100, 105, so you'll have more income saved from the higher bracket. That will now increase at a lower rate, meaning you will be subjected more quickly to the higher tax bracket. Now, here's the problem with that. And here's what makes this a sneaky tax increase and just egregious political malpractice. Let's put aside the economic debate of what's the better way of measuring inflation. I don't, I don't care for, for these purposes. The point is, this is a more muted way of doing it, so you're going to be paying higher taxes. There's two problems with this. Number one is, how about we subject the growth of Medicaid, of food stamps, of HUD to the chain CPI. Ever think about that? No, 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 no. That they'll never do. They'll subject your fruits of labor to the chain CPI, but not the handouts. Again, handouts are an unalienable right, but keeping your fruits of labor are not under our system. So that's just one thing that's really egregious. I mean, you want to go by chain CPI, fine, but you know, do everything by chain CPI, so at least you cut spending. And ironically, if you actually freaking cut spending, well then you'll have a better, more leverage to actually give us a real tax cut, and maybe you won't have to do the chain CPI. See that circular logic there. But what's even worse is that there's one thing if you did what I just suggested. You do Bush tax cuts 2.0, just only cuts, no commensurate increases and deductions. So in that instance, 
you're always going to get a tax cut. So you say, but albeit it's going to be a little bit slower than you thought because we'll have changed CPI. But the rates will be much lower, so you're never going to come out worse. But if you're going to get rid of deductions in the personal exemption and then say, okay, but I'm giving you some rate cuts, but then I'm going to subject the rate cuts to the chain CPI, here's the problem with that. That's no longer even a wash. That's no longer even a 50-50 proposition. In the long run, in 10 to 20 years from now, more people will actually get a tax increase on net. And keep in mind what's worse is This is very dangerous because you're establishing a permanent political policy baseline that we're going to calculate tax brackets with the chain CPI. So what this means is that what happens if in the next 10 years the Democrats get in there and they will get in there based on what we're doing and have a massive tax increase? Guess what? Now not only are you going to have a tax increase, but Republicans – created the political expectation now the political baseline now it's going to be tax increases with the chain cpi and it's going to accelerate even worse so if you're going to have the chain cpi that that that's a genie in the bottle that if you're going to let that out you better make sure we're getting either big spending cuts by subjecting spending programs to chain cpi or have a real legitimate tax cut but instead i'm going to read to you from the tax policy center and i i know they're kind of a little a little left of center but their data is good you know you could read through their political talking points but their data is everyone agrees is is correct it's what you do with it you know you could disagree about but the data is true they crunch the numbers of what the chain cpi will look like and they say as follows They say that taxpayers making between about $150,000 and $300,000 would on average pay about $800 more in taxes than under current law. And then by 2027, taxes would rise for for, for roughly one quarter of taxpayers, including nearly 30% of those with incomes between $50,000 and $150,000, and 60% of those between $150,000 and $300,000. Those are the people that are paying now at this point $25,000 to $30,000 a year in health insurance premiums in order to subsidize the rest of the socialism. Folks, tomorrow... November 7th, 2017, is the 100-year anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution. The core of, of socialism and Marxism is built upon redistributing wealth. In this country, 100 years later, that's supposed to be a free country, we now have the conservative political party that is redistributing wealth. And ironically, not just from the very wealthy, that, that, that's a no-brainer, that, that we all agree to already. Yeah, screw the rich. But I'm talking about the middle-income, middle-upper-income. 60% will have a tax increase by 2027 as a result of this plan that they're calling a tax cut. This is how Republicans do tax cuts. Remember how Republicans did Obamacare repeal by making things worse? That's what I'm saying. I can't. I I understand you could isolate some provisions, part of the S corp thing. Although some of the S corp thing is problematic, and part of the corporate tax cut that's good. But as a full package, we cannot support this. And look, I understand. I understand that it's hard 
to do taxes. You're going to have Susan Collins always saying it's not enough. You're going to have this person saying, I like this deduction. I like this thing. I like that thing. I, I understand that. And that's why I'm not attacking Republicans in a vacuum, for, for, for example, for getting rid of the tax credit on adoptions. Because legitimately, if you are doing a legitimate tax cut, but getting rid of all the deductions and, and credits, I, I understand you're going to wind up doing that. I understand you can't, well, I wish you would have gotten this or not. I'm not picking on small provisions. My problem is this entire approach is systemically flawed by not cutting spending and then worrying about the deficit and therefore having deficit neutral, revenue neutral tax. It's you. The whole thing doesn't work. So even if they, you know, due to the outcry, they change some provisions, it's going to be a rubric's cube. You can't fix this. Either do a tax cut or don't do it. But you can't do revenue neutral. It doesn't work out. It's a boondoggle. It's a political boondoggle. It's a policy boondoggle. It doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. Until they're willing to do that, it's not worth even touching this issue. You're always going to have those problems. So that's what's so dumb about this. Now, we're we're, uh, just about running out of time here, but... I want to go through with you just the core, you know, issue that's going to lead to the tax increase, and that's the getting rid of the state and local income tax deduction. Now, because I I know some of you have different views on this, and I just wanted to present something that I think, whatever side you are on that, in a vacuum, what the GOP is doing is accentuating the problems of both and getting the benefits of neither meaning neither the side that wants to keep the SALT, state and local income tax deduction, as it's called, or those who want to abolish it. So again, if you want to do broad-based tax reform, real tax reform, where you have a real flat tax, okay, that, that that's fine. But the problem that they're doing now is they're going after the worst deductions, and they're getting rid of some of the best and for example, they're keeping tons of the green energy pork for you know, corporations that don't pay any taxes because by definition, green energy is impotent. Um, they get so much off, they don't have to pay real estate taxes in most states. Uh, they're kind of like the earned income credit version of the corporate system. They're, they're on the take. You know, I love when people say the gas and oil industry, they get all these subsidies. Um, dude, they pay tens of billions in taxes, even after all of those deductions. That's baked into the cake. Um, you know, again, it's the difference between deductions for those that pay a tremendous amount even after deductions versus refundable tax credits for those that don't pay anything. And that's really what green energy is. But they go after state and local income taxes and the mortgage interest and charity and adoption. Really? Really, guys? This is what you're doing Again, it's the stupidest thing. Let me explain what I mean, because I know some of you are going to say, well, what do you mean? They don't really go after mortgage interest and charity. Here's, here's the deal. I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but you know, I just wanted to get this out now. So on the one hand, conservatives don't want to subsidize states and localities that have higher taxes. Because again, the more you subsidize something, 
or, or, or the more you use the tax code to tilt the playing field, the more it encourages it. We talk about this all the time, the original sin of healthcare. The more you use the tax code to incentivize employers to buy cartel insurance, the more you empower the cartel. So here, the more you say, oh, hey, state and local taxes, whatever you want, you unlimited cap, you could deduct it off your federal taxes. So states are gonna be like, hey, you know, we'll we'll get our cut out of this. And knowing that, you know, the feds will have to deduct it and we'll kind of shield cushion the blow a little bit from what we're doing. Um, it's terrible policy. I would have never created a system built upon this. Likewise, mortgage interest. Um, it, it's the dumbest thing. You're creating an asset bubble. Don't don't tax, don't distort the housing market, but don't subsidize it and let the natural order of things fall into place that you know whenever people will um, be able to afford a mortgage, they'll be able to afford it. When they could afford a house, they could afford a house. Um, here, you create an asset bubble, you inflate the price of the homes, but then you help people kind of pay for the mortgage more. Well, you know, don't, do, do neither. Don't distort the market and don't subsidize it. And also, it's just stupid. You know, I always felt, even to the extent if you believe that the government should get involved in encouraging homeownership, I always felt we should have come up with some sort of scheme to incentivize equity, um, the down payment, rather than the mortgage, which is debt. I mean, why not incentivize equity over debt? But that's that's a different story. And, and, and by the way, the, the GOP tax plan kind of does that a little bit on the corporate side. They get rid of the debt financing, and that, that's a separate provision. Maybe, maybe not. We'll get to later. Um, and then you have ch- things like charity and adoption, which are good things that you should want to incentivize. Maybe in a purely libertarian market system that we literally didn't have government involved i wouldn't mind not incentivizing anything but i mean if we're gonna have the system we have certainly these are at the top of the food chain you want to work with the civil society to have individuals take care of charity and adoption especially in lieu of government programs so it's certainly a positive thing the gop plant so so that's that's the thing those are the deductions but back to state and local on the one hand, it's horrible policy, but on the other hand, you got to be careful. You don't want to on net raise taxes on any middle, middle, upper income families. You know, again, we we have to be careful. What's a subsidy and what's a tax cut? In our parlance, the left and even Republicans fall into this. They call a tax cut a subsidy and a subsidy a tax cut. Don't you touch my Obamacare. Don't touch my Medicaid. Wait a minute. You don't have a right to that. Right? So – you know, suddenly that that's mine. That's that's my income. No, it's it's not actually. It's it's redistribution of wealth. But you know, state and local income tax deduction. You're talking about people in metro areas, not just in the heaviest of blue states, but really across the country, that they pay a tremendous amount of taxes even after the state and local tax d- deduction. So by getting rid of that. Which, as a matter of policy and just market distortions and incentivizing states, it's horrible. I get it. But you got to make sure that the rate deductions are commensurate, that they're not going to get an increase. And that's the problem, that under this plan, because they're getting rid of it, it's not enough that they're going to get a tax cut. And this is what's suicidal about it. But what I wanted to say is they do it in the worst possible way. They do it in the worst possible way. So there's one thing you get rid of it completely so on the other one hand you're really going to wind up raising taxes on people but on the other hand 
you're going to stop this incentivizing and and people are now going to have to pressure their state legislatures and county officials, especially in places like New York, and say, the, the, the real estate taxes are sickening. We're not paying it. And, you know, so you get the best of both. You get the feds will lower their rates and the states will lower their rates. The problem is they don't get rid of it. They get rid of the state income tax deduction. You cannot deduct a penny of your state income taxes. But then on the other hand, they offer a lavish property tax uh, deduction is up is capped at 10,000. This is the worst possible compromise between everything. It's the worst possible one. Because the state income tax deduction is more broad based. Anyone outside of the few states that don't have an income tax are do are going to pay that and benefit from that and you're taking that away. Now, some states have low income taxes, but a lot of states have very high income taxes. Keep in mind, it's not just New York and California, even red states. I mean, our staff, our main staff is in Greenville, South Carolina. South Carolina has a 7% uh, state income tax rate. That that's, that's pretty high. That's not much lower than my state of Maryland. So that, that that's, but, but gone. So picture you have a family earning 150,000 in income or so. 7% is already high. You cannot deduct that anymore. But on the other hand, the ten per the ten thousand on on real estate is insane because that is a shout out to New Jersey and New York. And and it's funny because Tom McArthur, the rhino from New Jersey, he was like, "This is great. This will be good for my state." So the whole point of getting rid of it was what was to say. That even though we might wind up raising people's taxes, but we're not going to incentivize blue states from doing stupidity. So you got rid of the the better one, which is the state income tax one, which is more broad based and applies to more people, not just in the worst of counties and states, not just Nassau County, Long Island, New York, but pretty much everywhere that's not actively low tax. But then you keep it for the high real estate the high real estate tax counties and jurisdictions. Let me just give you a number figure, and again, you know, I'll kind of give away some of our income here. Last year on my tax return, I paid roughly ninety four hundred in state taxes for Maryland, and forty seven hundred in real estate taxes. So my salt, my total state and local income tax, state and local tax deduction, was a little bit over fourteen thousand dollars. So under current law, that's a big deduction, 14000 and it's enough to not only take the standard deduction now, but even under the current plan, and then that, that the standard is double, double to twenty four, and then you know any bit more you pay in charity, always you're incentivized, you're going to get less and less the more you pay in charity, which is good. Under the current plan, I can now only deduct 4700 so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna itemize anymore. I'm gonna take the standard. This is the de facto repeal of mortgage interest and charity because now it's never gonna be worth it to pay more, you know, to give more charity at least tax wise. You know, from God's end it will, but uh, it's not gonna be worth it. That's how it devastates mortgage interest and which might that might be good, but charity as well because. Think about it. It doesn't directly get rid of it, but salt is kind of the foundation. You pull that rug out and the whole thing collapses. It's not worth it now. You'll just take the increased standard. So look how stupid this is. It's the worst of all ways. 
You're, this is what I mean by pulling out the furniture just to put it back in, but scratching your walls and, and, and throwing at your back. You're going up against the mortgage industry. You're going up again, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying, you know, I don't like them, the real estate lobby, but you know, you're going up against the charitable foundations. You're going up against the state and local and you're raising taxes on a lot of people. For what? For what? At least have a nice, juicy tax cut you know, in the marginal rates, that's worth it. But here you incur all this political lie. This is, this is vintage GOP. Incur all the political liabilities and get none of the policy benefits. That is the modus operandi of the Republican Party. It's amazing. It's amazing how stupid they are. But again, the, the, the salt cap, my proposal would be the, the way of marrying it, the way of ensuring that you don't, completely gut people and hurt them and they can still itemize and you don't gut charity and everything is by capping everything at 10,000. So you could use anything towards a mixture, you know, whether it's state income and property tax towards that 10,000 here, it's zero for income, but all the way up to 10 for, for real estate. And, and, and this is the problem with the heritage foundation, the tax foundation that are cheering on this plan. They're being a little bit misleading here. They're saying, who does a stupid New York and California? Why should we subsidize them? They're missing the boat, and they're going to see a lot of conservative voters rebel against this. It's not just them. They're being dishonest. It's unless you are actively in an area that's particularly low taxes, you're going to come out at the short end of the stick. You see what I'm saying? It's not like a 90-10 proposition. Oh, it's just the 10 most. No, it's really – the top 50, 45% or so of jurisdictions, you're going you're gonna to get hurt. Because I live in Baltimore County, Maryland. And yes, the income taxes in Maryland are above average, but it's not, again, it's not appallingly like New York and California. It's only a little bit higher than South Carolina. And then the real estate taxes are kind of reasonable where I am in my county. 4700 I pay on a $350,000 home. But for me, the income t- tax in conjunction with that makes it worth it. It makes it that I will be paying more under the GOP plan. Not just people in Nassau County, but, but for those people, they're actually giving them a break of 10000 so they will itemize. The people that are going to get hurt are the people in normal um, property tax jurisdictions that maybe have a little bit higher income taxes. And that's not just a couple of states. It's a lot of states. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Anyway, I'm sorry this took so long. It took 50 minutes to give this over, but you know it doesn't fit on a bumper st- sticker. I wanted you to understand the profundity in, of details, not just in a general sense, how suicidal this is and, and why conservatives cannot support this despite a couple of isolated good things about it. it. This actually takes us backwards. It's not just, oh, a cut, albeit not as much as we wanted. This cannot be supported. This is the embodiment of the GOP. Anyway, we're going to have a lot more this week on an array of issues, on the courts, on immigration, on foreign policy, what's going on in the Middle East, in Lebanon, in Iraq, in Saudi Arabia. Look out for my buddy Jordan Schachtel's articles um, and healthcare as always. Thank you for listening. God bless y'all. Let's make our voices, the voices of the forgotten men, heard it in the halls of Washington. (laughs) 